Friends, we are looking at Acts chapter 2. I know that as a church, we spent two and a half years walking through the book of Acts, so what's one more Sunday? As we spend these five weeks for the Moore campaign, reorienting ourselves around the vision of Cola Press. What is God calling us to, to be as a Great Commission church? So last week, we talked about Ephesians 3, more glory. This week, we talk about more mission, the more mission that he's calling us to. And so I want to point us to a very familiar passage in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 37. This is Pentecost, and this is what happens after Peter's sermon. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were gathered together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Lord, you added in Peter's day. May you add today to this local church and to all gospel-loving churches in our city and beyond, day by day, those who are being saved. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I want to take a different angle when we think about mission and Great Commission today, and I want to touch on what is a touchy subject in the church, and that is counting. I want to talk about the role of counting within the church, and I think this is touchy because there are so many bad examples of counting in a wrong way or counting in a fleshly way or counting in a way that brags. And so we tiptoe around the subject about counting. Maybe you've heard the three Bs of church growth. Pardon my French, but it is butts, bucks, and buildings, right? How many butts are in the seats on Sunday morning and how many bucks are in the church budget and how big are the buildings? We, we count in a way that is bragging, Y'all don't experience this, but when you go to a pastor's conference and you're meeting other pastors, there's this way you size each other up. What's your name? Where are you at? What's your church like? What's you running on a Sunday morning? Like, truly, how many people are there? Do you guys do that in campus ministry? Do you talk about the big group meeting? No, Matt would never do this. But other people do this, sizing each other up by the number. And so because it's so touchy, it could feel like, hey, let's not talk about this at all. Let's not, let's have nothing to do with that. Leave the results to God and we will just focus on faithfulness. But what I want to do is make a biblical case for counting conversions in the church. 
There are other things that are good things to count. We're not talking about those this morning. We are talking about a biblical case for counting conversions. And so to do that, we're going to talk about a healthy way to count and an unhealthy way to count and understand what this means for us and for the church. So let's talk about counting and let's get ourselves oriented around Acts chapter 2. We just kind of dropped in on this scene, but it is the scene of Pentecost. Uh, We know the story through the Gospels. Jesus has a very public ministry for three years and he teaches and performs miracles. And then Passover weekend, he is caught, he is crucified, buried, and marvelously resurrected. And he spends the following weeks with his disciples teaching them and training them until he's ascended and says the Holy Spirit is going to come. And when he comes, church, then and now, you will do greater things than the incarnate Jesus himself. So the disciples wait. They wait in the upper room. There's a few souls gathered there. And 50 days later, Jews from all over the world come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks, also known as Pentecost. And Acts says they are from every nation under heaven and then goes on to list 15 nations that are present there. And some speculate that as many as a million pilgrims would come to Jerusalem just to celebrate this feast. So it's a, a huge deal. And the church is in the upper room. They're praying. They're waiting on the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he comes in dramatic fashion. The city shows up to hear what the commotion is about. Peter stands up and he preaches this marvelous Pentecost sermon. You can read in Acts chapter 2. And we just read the results. God does an incredible work. Now, for our purposes on counting, I want you to flip back to Acts chapter 1 and look at verse 15 in the upper room. It simply says, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, and then in parentheses, the company of persons was in all about 120. Now, how did they know how many people were crammed in that upper room? And the answer is, somebody counted. They're there. They're praying, they're worshiping, they're teaching, they're choosing a 12th apostle. And while they're doing that, the sound guy is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, seven. We got about 120 folks here. He is counting the number and 120 souls are there. And that number is recorded. 120-ish souls have been converted in the last three years of Jesus' public ministry, and that number is recorded in Scripture, in inspired Scripture for all time to marvel and celebrate the goodness of God in these lives. I think there's more converts elsewhere. These are the ones gathered in Jerusalem. They are counted and numbered and recorded. Well, with that in mind, flip back to our text in chapter 2, verse 21, because the 120 sets us up for a really big surprise when we read in verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. My goodness. How did they know there were about 3,000 souls? And the answer is, somebody was counting. 
Now, it's a different thing to count in a room 120 than it is to count in public 3,000 baptisms. And if you're going to count 3,000, it can no longer just be the sound guy. You need a team of people who are out there attending to all the baptisms. One, two, three, four. What'd you got? I got 50. I got 100. You got 600. Let's add these together. You need a plan if you are going to count 3,000. And that number is recorded in Holy Scripture because we are meant to see and celebrate what God does. Pentecost is not a little bump. It's not a little boost. It is extravagant. The Holy Spirit brings a 25-fold increase to the church and blows the doors off the upper room. You can't meet there anymore as the church. You have a church that is so large, it can no longer be contained in that space. God has done a marvelous thing. And we know its number. But there's more. Because Christians keep counting conversions all through the book of Acts. You can turn to these passages, you can write them down, but, but later in our passage, chapter 2, verse 27, it simply says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So somebody is still counting. Somebody's still adding, okay, we had a guy today, we had a couple tomorrow, three people came to faith the next day. Somebody is there recording who is coming to faith to know that. Then chapter four, verse four is the next big jump. Many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000, a dramatic increase from what we just had. Somebody is counting the growth. Now, after 5,000, things get crazy, and the numbers are so big and so varied, and in so many places, we no longer get a specific number in the book of Acts, but people are still counting because we keep reading. Chapter 5, verse 14, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. How did they know it was more than ever if they had a count from before, and now they have a count now, and the additions we're making now are bigger than the additions we had before? More than ever, we are seeing converts come to Christ. Chapter 6, verse 1, we are increasing in number. Chapter 6, verse 7, the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Chapter 9, verse 31, it multiplied. Chapter 11, verse 24, a great many people were added to the Lord. And I could go on and on and on in Acts and beyond. What's happening here? What's, what's the theme? What's going on? Christians are counting converts. Christians are reporting the increases. And Christians are giving all glory for this to God. You hear even the language they're using about converts. They don't say, hey, we got a convert. Our church got a convert. We did this. The Lord added to their number. And the number was added to the Lord. It is from him and it is to him. It is all the Lord's. But even so, the church counts, reports, and gives glory to God. Counts, reports, and gives glory to God. To me, this is a clear biblical precedence that we ought to count and we ought to report and we ought to celebrate the ways and times and means that God brings marvelous fruit to this church body 
and to fellow church bodies and campus ministries and mercy ministries where the hand of God is moving. We want to know it. We want to count it. We want to report it. And we want to celebrate. That's the precedent here. But the moment you talk about something good to do in the church, you immediately realize that all of us are tainted by sin. All of us come with mixed motives. All of us can take a good thing and make it a bad thing. And, and so it's right that we pause and warn there are bad, unhealthy, fleshly ways to count that have nothing to do with what's going on in Acts. There are bad ways to count. And let's just think about a few unhealthy ways to count. Number one, counting another person's work is a bad way of counting. Taking credit for something the Lord is doing through somebody else and kind of bending the story so it sounded like I was more involved than I was, that's something that we have no business doing in the church. And that's something Paul says emphatically in Romans 16, 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. I'm only going to report to you what he has done through me and through us together. That's what I'm going to report and celebrate on. We don't count for our own what God is doing through others. In a similar fashion, we are not counting and fishing for transfers from other churches to this local church. Now, I know some of us have come to this church because we moved here. Some of us have been baptized here. And some of us literally have transferred from a local church here. And there are good reasons to transfer churches. If my church is not preaching the word of God, if it does not have accountability in its leadership, if, if it's not a great commission church, if my gifts aren't being used, if, if there's some kind of dynamic there, there can be good reasons to transfer from another church to this church. And we can talk about them. But we don't have a strategy to fish in other churches in Colombia when the city teems with lost souls more than we could ever get to in our lifetime. We're not messing with the churches. We're looking at the city. Those are the souls that we seek. Let me hit you with a Spurgeon quote first thing in the morning. He says, our first care must be to that the sheep be gathered to the great shepherd and there will be enough time afterwards to secure them to our various folds. To make proselytes is a suitable labor for Pharisees, but to beget men and women unto, unto God is the honorable aim of ministers of Christ. If you come from darkness to light, we're going to do backflips in here at your baptism. If you come from Baptist to Presbyterian, you're going to get a handshake. Like we're happy that you finally found it, but, but we're keeping the main thing the main thing, right? Believers, the main thing is the main thing, and we don't count another's work. Number two, we don't count to shame. If there's a way that we're counting that is shaming our fellow members as we try to do evangelism, and is shaming other churches as they try to do evangelism. 1 Corinthians 13 says, true love, true gospel love keeps no record of wrongs because it gets its cues from Jesus 
And Jesus marvelously keeps no record of wrongs. He doesn't hold something over us to shame us. And so if there's any kind of counting we're doing that is bringing shame on each other as we're trying and is bringing shame on other churches, that has nothing to do with the Lord. If our counting is convicting, praise God. Praise God, he brings biblical spirit-filled conviction. But if our counting is shaming, it has nothing to do with the Lord. And we want nothing to do with it. And number three, and finally, we, of course, don't count to boasts. It is anathema to think that any person would take any shred of credit for something that only the Lord can begin and do the middle part and bring to completion. It's him who's working in me to even share the gospel in the first place or pray for conversions. It's him working in that person to draw that person to themselves. How crazy it would be to stand up and take credit for something that only the Lord does. First Corinthians one thirty one is a banner over our work. Let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. He did this. He's the one that brings the fruit. So all that gives us pause. Not all counting is good. Not all counting is from God. There is a counting that elevates man and there's a counting that celebrates God and may we be a people of the latter. When we report, it is a celebration to what God is doing. That's the biblical case. Now here we stand poised as a church about to move into a very strategic place. I'm not sure I could pick a more strategic location and a more visible building than what the Lord has provided to us at 1700 UG. It's incredible. Right in the heart of downtown, central to all of our folks who are coming, it's close to college campuses, it's very memorable. Everybody knows what Cogdill and Cromers is. Everybody, I don't need to spell that out for anybody. They already know exactly where we are. 40,000 cars are gonna pass by that building every single day. That's an incredible, incredible strategic advantage. And any pastor I talk to tells me, hey, whether you like it or not, you move into a new space, you will see 10 to 25 plus percent increase in Sunday morning attendance because people see a new building and they're excited about that and they just come. And they're just gonna come to that new space and they're just gonna be there. Whether you like it or not, they're coming and they're gonna show up. So church, let us say this now and let us hold to this now. Our divine scorecard is not Sunday morning attendance. We have no aspirations to be a big church. We have huge prayerful aspirations to be a fruitful church. And may God give us a holy restlessness for souls. May we long for souls to know the living God. As we think about our friends, as we think about our family members, as I think about my classmates and my coworkers and those in my neighborhood, may I have a holy burning, a restlessness in my soul that they might meet and know the living and reigning Christ, that they might be baptized into his membership, that they might grow up into full maturity with his body for his glory alone. That's a more 
prayer, like we talked about last week from Ephesians 3. Here's an ask prayer, that we get it there and fill our new sanctuary. Uh, all the seats would be taken. That's, a, that's an ask prayer. We're not praying that. We pray as we occupy that space that God would do abundantly more than we ask or think and he would fill that great and glorious heavenly sanctuary. That's what we want to see, church. That's what we long for, church. That is worth counting. We count because our God is a counting God. Do you know that? Our God is a counting God. Now, I'm doing something unusual, and that is I'm reading a sci-fi novel. I don't typically do that, but I've been doing that this week, and I'm reading Andy Weir's Hail Mary. He wrote The Martian. It was brilliant. I'm reading Hail Mary. I recommend it. So my mind has been kind of in outer space this week, which meant that when I read Psalm 147.4, my ears perked up when I heard the psalmist say, God counts the stars and calls them out by name. He names them and he knows their number. As far as we can tell, there are about 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. Which means, if you took a measuring cup and you went to Folly Beach and you began to scoop a cup of the ocean and all the oceans of the world one at a time and into your bucket and you counted them, you would have to do that 10 times to get the number 200 billion trillion, which means counting and naming them is beyond human imagination. And it is a small thing for our counting God. He names them and he numbers them and he knows each one because he made them. And if he knows the stars and he knows the sparrows, how much more does he know every soul, its number and its name? We flip through all those passages real quick, 120 and 3,000 and 5,000 and added and multiplied. And, and to us, we just kind of celebrate it in bulk. But God knows every face and every name and every family represented in that counting. He says in Isaiah 49, can, can a nursing mother forget her child? Maybe she can, but God cannot forget his people. Our names are engraved on his hands. He knows every name, every number. Jesus says in Luke chapter 12 that, that God doesn't just know our number. He actually knows us so intimately. He knows the number of the hairs on our head. He knows his people, every name and every number. The book of Revelation says that there's this marvelous book of life that God has had in his possession since before the foundations of the world in which is recorded every name every number of his people. There's not a single social security number in there. He knows every person and the detail of their lives and their families. Our God is a counting God, which makes his people a counting people. 
people. So church, let us occupy this new space with courage and with humility and ready to count. Will somebody be there ready to count so that it might be said of Columbia Presbyterian Church and every church in our great city that names the name of Jesus and the big C church that meets across the globe what it was said in the book of Acts and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, move mightily by your spirit. We cannot do this. We can't add a single heart, a single man, woman, or child to membership of your kingdom without your spirit moving in a tremendous way in us and in our church body and in the souls who will join us. And I pray that you will move in such a way that we will count and record and rejoice the baptisms we see in this place that you have added to your number. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.